Hey everybody, this is Jim Robbins, and this is the Good and Noble Heart Podcast. And my special guest today is Gary Barkalo. Gary was uh, spent seven years with the Ransom Tart men's team and now has his own mission focused around the issue of calling. And uh, Gary is gracious to be back here again, and we're going to be doing a seven-part series going into the material in a much deeper way than what we could do in our previous podcast together. So this is the first of that seven-part series, and uh, so the listener knows it's going to build. They're not sort of random sessions. Each one is going to build and and form a, a, a structure, so to speak, to help us figure out this issue of calling in our life, because there's a lot to it. And it's and it's deeper and, and probably better than you thought it was. So Gary, thanks again for being with us today. Oh, you're welcome, Jim. I've been looking forward to this time. Thank you. Um, we're going to look at orientation today, um, and this is built around your seven-part series, "The Glory of Your Life," which I think is one of the most helpful things out there on calling. And in fact, I think it is the most helpful because what it does is it addresses issues that don't get touched by, um, let's say, spiritual gifts assessments, personality inventories. I mean, an example, I just went, I was browsing Borders the other day, and I came across in the business section this book that is supposed to help you dial in completely to what you're about and, you know, you know uh, your strengths, you know, strengths indicator. And I, and I just, I've done that kind of stuff before, but I came away really... Um, you know, this hasn't done a single thing for me, uh, you know, because I'm trying to test the resources out there, and many people have found that to be true. They just, they need something that really does a better job than simply the spiritual gifts inventories or the personality tests, and um, I just talked to a woman t- um, online the other day that is a great person. She's really discovering um, a brand new level of freedom in Christ, but she has no idea what her particular place in the story is. Um, because they're just, we're not given that framework normally. So today is orientation. So perhaps the first question we can go into, Gary, is why is it so hard to find our calling? What is going on? Yeah, you, you know what, Jim, and just, just what you just said, the story that you gave is so important because, you know, you and I and those listening obviously have um, a curiosity, a, a desire to know more about their calling. And so, yes, we will look at those things that offer some hope or answer. And, and, and you're right, most people, as myself, who have taken these different assessments and tests and indicators, you know, you, you might walk out with some clarifying words maybe, and that's hopeful when you think, hey, yeah, I think this word kind of describes who I am or what I love, but those things can never go to the core of who we really are. We're, we are much deeper than we think we are. The story is much larger than we've been told it is. And so, yet those things aren't helpful for very long. It may be a clue, but just a clue and not really an answer. And, and that's why so many people get so um, discouraged after a while, this search and this hunt, because they just don't offer enough. So, so going now to your question, which really comes out of that, and that is this, a, a, a brief answer is not going to help, um, an answer of concerning our personality or our strengths or our desires. We really have to have an orientation. We have to understand, first of all, the context that we are living in. Um, 
and so, and there's a lot of factors. The context we're living in, the very heart that we possess, why is it made the way it's made? Why are there certain things we want, certain things we don't, certain curiosities we have, certain curiosities we don't have, and those kind of things. But but your your question is the perplexing one, because since God said in, in Psalm 32.8 that he would instruct us and teach us in the way that we should go, you know, then the question is, if he's promised to do that, and he and he is doing it, then why is it so hard? And, and the one answer, if I were to put the answer to that question um, in a word, it would be the one you mentioned, and that's disorientation. We're just disoriented. Um, and what does a person... What does a person believe um, who has become disoriented? What are some of the uh, perhaps faulty conclusions they can draw about themselves or about the story? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, first let me start with this idea. I mean, we, we've all been disoriented at different points in our life, usually brief disorientation moments. Like, for instance, you wake up perhaps in a hotel room, you're on a trip, um, you go to bed late, you wake up in the middle of the night, the lights, it's completely dark, lights are off, and for a moment you have no idea what room you're in, what state you're in, where you are, what time it is. And and, and so at that point, we have no context for our life. We, we have nothing to even make a decision off of at that point. You're just really aware that you're disoriented. And so... Or people have had the experience of perhaps having some type of an accident where they they hit their head, and at the moment they really don't know who they are or where they are, what's just happened to them. So in a general sense, there's a picture of disorientation. In a spiritual sense that we're talking about, a person who is disoriented typically, um, in a similar way, has no idea what has happened or is happening. They they just really don't know that there's something larger that's going on around them, that there are things outside of themselves, outside of that person's life that are occurring, moving, that have nothing to do with them, that are going to move anyway. Um, hmm. so, so one, they don't understand the context that they're in, that there's something larger than what they can see and sense immediately. N- number two is, typically a person who is disoriented, and, and this really is all of us to some extent, um, ha- has lost, in a sense, their understanding that their actions are actually consequential. Hmm. It's, it's that typical thing that we, that we tend to believe, we tend to live in, that, you know, my life is not that consequential. I mean, what I do doesn't affect that many people or that many things, if anybody or if anything and they've they've lost the awareness that the decisions they make, the words they speak, the actions they take, have a big effect. They were designed. That person was designed to have an effect in this world, and they do. So so they think that their actions are inconsequential. And then the last thing I would say that that really go with the first two things I said, and that is that they tend to believe because they don't understand the context, because they don't think their actions and words are that consequential, they tend to believe that they kind of are pretty safe. You know, there's there's not that much going on. It's, you know, it's like a high school play. Everybody just reacts <laughs> to each other. There's no danger. 
and uh, not realizing that the consequences are big. You know, the stakes are high. Yeah, I, I've been trying to float that question out on the forum I moderate, and um, you know, I think there's a myth that goes like, I'm just called to love whoever's in front of me. And you would be surprised by some of the feedback I get when I ask, is that enough? Is that all that's going on? I mean, some people are downright mad that I would even raise the issue. And um, because it's been this kind of, well, um, you know, I have the life of God, I have Jesus, and I'm just going to love whoever he puts in front of me. But there's nothing more uh, focused or um, um, breathtaking or, as you say, consequential than that. I'm not saying that's not consequential, but that's kind of all they're left with is this sort of general sense that I, I'm supposed to love people, but specifically, why am I in the story? They're not raising that question necessarily, and I know why, but still, it, it exists. So let's, before we get too far into the story component, let's go to that metaphor that you use about um, the three GPS points, the alert and oriented times three. What are those three GPS points for helping us to stay oriented? Yeah, yeah, that, that's really good. Actually, the alert and oriented times three is, is a medical model used with trauma vision, uh, trauma patients. But, but the, uh, the GPS uh, metaphor is, is equally as powerful. So l let me start with the medical one. So if an, if an EMT walks up to a trauma victim, uh, this emergency medical technician, and the, the first thing he has to do is assess uh, at what level of consciousness is this person. And so he will ask this trauma victim three questions. He'll, and, and people have seen this on movies. Uh, he'll ask, can you tell me your name? And then he'll say, can you tell me what day it is? And the third question is, can you tell me where you are? Now, if that trauma victim can answer all three questions, he's fully conscious. And then he will treat the victim accordingly from that point on. And so, again, if he can answer all three questions, he is considered alert and oriented times three. That's a fully alert person. And so with this metaphor, we, we really have to live alert and oriented times three, just fully conscious, fully aware of our life, God's life in this world, and, and the story that's going on in this world. Now, now, to switch metaphors for a second, but the same three things, if, if you are using a GPS unit, um, it has to have at least three connections, three satellites, three sources of information. I, I remember flying into San Francisco once, and, and uh, I had a GPS unit with me, and I hooked it up to the car, and I was in the parking garage, and uh, it was just a short drive from the parking garage to the highway. So I turned it on so hoping that this GPS was going to tell me where to go as soon as I left the parking garage. Unfortunately, because I was in it, um, it couldn't pick up any satellites, so it couldn't speak to me. It couldn't direct me. And in the same way, we have to have three points of information at all times that we are aware of. Um, if we're going to find out where we are and, and, and how to get to where we're supposed to be going, so, so now, back to the basic three. So the three points of information, the three places that we have to be alert and oriented to, our story, 
the story that we're living in, as well as our own story, which is part of that, of course, um, our desires, and then our journey or the process of development that God has us in. Um, and those have been, to me, that's what is largely missing from from this issue of how do you discern your calling. They're missing those three location points, those, that triangulation. Um, so let's go a little bit into story. Um, I think for us to talk about the story is something dangerous, about the context of being essentially, I think what we're invited into is a counterinsurgency effort and a rescue effort. So simultaneously, we are asked to rescue hearts, because that's what Jesus is about, but we're also asked to enter into this counterinsurgency effort against an enemy, which he is leading us into. Um, and for a lot of people, they just don't want to hear that because it's too freaky. It's laced with all kind of religious stuff that, you know, that they want to leave behind. But <laughs> there are, there, um, what we think of the story will shape us. So let's speak a little bit to that. How does our notion of that story affect how we're going to live in our call? Yeah, that's, a, that's such a good question. And, and you're right. I, I, one of the, as we said earlier, one of the characteristics of a disoriented person is that they think they're completely safe. There's no danger. And that's really the way the majority of believers live their life, that, that there is no danger, there is no enemy, um, that they're living, you know, in a, in a good place versus kind of behind enemy lines type of thing. So, um, so yeah, let, let me let me go to this idea of of story for a second. Um, it's it's really interesting. In Luke chapter twelve, verse fifty four, Jesus is speaking to a group of people, and he says to them, he says to the crowd, he said, "When you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say it's going to rain, and it does. And when the south wind blows, you say it's going to be hot, and it is." You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? Now, now Jesus was not mad because they were skillful as farmers um, in interpreting, you know, the appearance of the sky to, to know what's coming. But what he wasn't happy about was the fact that they completely misunderstood his life what he had come to do, and how, therefore, he was going to have to do it, because they didn't understand the story they were living in, that there was something larger, far more dangerous going on. And, and so, therefore, as, as we all know, they completely misunderstood who Jesus was. They were trying to get him to do something else other than what he came for. So, so God is pretty serious about we have to understand the story we're living in. Now, now let me answer your, your question specifically. Um, the way the story that we believe that is going on around us determines how we react to life. So, so let me say that again. So, the story that we believe is going on around us determines how we react to life. If if we think that life is really safe, as, as you were alluding to, so many people believe this to be true, then you live in this half awake, kind of alert and oriented times one, maybe alert and oriented times two kind of state, because why be on high alert? Why, why be discerning? 
Why be uh, <laughs> questioning things? Why be trying to look beyond what your senses can pick up as far as sight and, you know, and sense and that kind of thing? Um, but I'll tell you what, when we know we're in danger, I mean, whether you're sitting in your house and you, maybe you're alone and you hear this noise you don't recognize, and all of a sudden you are fully alert, I mean, you, everything is turned up in intensity. Your, your eyesight, your hearing, your thinking, your perception. Um, we live differently when we think that there is danger around us, not only for us, but for others as well. I don't mean living a fearful life, of course not. But when you realize there's danger in this world for you and for other people, um, we live very differently. Uh, that's so good. Um, and I think the way that that has really helped me is um, I think in some senses as a guy, I need to know that I'm welcomed into the fight, that what I have is needed in this this counterinsurgency rescue effort. I, because otherwise what I'm doing sort of, it, it, it sort of shrivels and shrinks and becomes um, either self-indulgent or just, it's just not that important. So it, it helps me um, in one sense to recognize, wait, there's something going on. There is a history to this story. Um, and I'm invited into it. But the other thing that helps me is when I lose heart or I'm on the verge of losing heart, it helps me remember, wait a minute, what's the story here? And who else is in the story besides just Jesus and me? Right, right. Oh, and, and I'll tell you what, you're so right. That so changes the way we live every day. When we realize that our lives are consequential, the decisions we make, the actions we take, the words we use, um, they really do matter. The way we live really matters. There's something very significant going on versus, you know, the thought. I think most of us wake up in the morning thinking, you know, it doesn't matter much what I do today. I'll just, you know, check off the list and, you know, get the few things that I'm obligated to get done, done. But it really doesn't matter. I mean, there's no adventure in that. Um, there's no anything. In fact, the worst part about that is we get to a point where if there's really nothing going on, we really don't need God. And, and there's, there's two sides of that. One is to just love God, which he asks us to do. And, and of course, that is the, the center of this. But we not only need and do love him, we, but we need his intervention, right? We need his guidance, his speaking, his saying, this is what's important today. Um, Winston Churchill said, when a man cannot distinguish uh, a great event from a small event, he is of no use. Mm. And that's so powerful. Because when we're disoriented, why, we don't realize that we live in a very large story, that the stakes are high, the consequences are real. Um, we can't distinguish a great event from a small event. And, and really we become fairly useless at this point kind of just another spectator. Right, and, and let me just point out that this, this, these concepts are equally true of women. Uh, I mean, oh, we yeah. may be using sort of the, this at-war concept, but, uh, I mean, the gifts and the beauty of women are, are equally needed in this, um, in this effort. And um, it, it helps to know that because of the story, 
it's just not about loving who is in front of me that day. This sort of spontaneous kind of, um, I'll, I'll just kind of love whoever's right there. I mean, that's important. I mean, we're not, I don't want to diminish that. But because of the story, because of this clash of kingdoms, so to speak, there is something specific that God is asking us to bring to it that if we don't, I mean, he could maybe make it up in other ways, but that's not the point. He doesn't want to do that because, you know, as, as you say, that's, you know, what do you have to give to the kingdom that if you don't offer it, it's going to live without it? Right. Um, so, I mean, okay, so story is the first of those orientation points. Let's, let's go, and uh, by the way, for the listener, we're going to go into these a lot deeper over the over this, uh, mm-hmm. sequence of series here. But this is just kind of to get our, you know, feet wet a little bit. So, what is the second component? Story is the first. What is the second orientation point? Well, the, the second is desire. So first, we have to be aware of the context that we are in, fully aware of that. Then we must also be alert and oriented to not only story but our own desires. Um, you know, a, a, such a key, key core verse that we will hit again and again is Philippians 2.13, which says, For it is God who is producing in you both the desire and the ability to do what pleases him. So, so when people talk about, you know, I just want to find God's calling on my life. I want to live that life of purpose. I want to find my destiny, or whatever words they put to, to this core idea, you, you can really get down to what this verse talks about. I want to find a life that would please God. In other words, the life that God has given me to live. He's created me to live this. And so this verse says right here that God is producing in us the desires to live the life that would please him. So if if we want to find this life, we just have to go to our desires. I mean, the great news is, is that the life that we are supposed to live is the life we most want to live. Now, now understanding the wanting, understanding desires is something we'll spend a whole other broadcast on because we have to go deep into that. Um, but we have to be alert and oriented to our desires all the time. And what is a what is a person? Let me let me say something first. I think that that whole notion of desire gets sabotaged by one of two things. One is shame that my desires simply are not worth exploring, or certainly not worth living from. And the second idea is this bad heart theology, that the believer has still a wicked heart and selfish and bent towards their own desires. But that is actually not what Scripture indicates. There is a whole repository of new desires that are unique to us when we get this new heart. So I just want to say there's a reason why desire has not been a category that we think in for discovering our calling. Um, But... What I wanted to ask is, what does a person, a man or a woman, look like who's lost their sense of desire? Okay. And, and let me let me just, I, I love what you just said about desire. You know, um, again, if somebody says, well, you know, you have to stay away from desire if you're going to live a holy life. Well, the scripture alone, and this is just one, and we'll go through many, many scriptures as this goes on. But this alone says that God is putting the desire in our heart to do what pleases him. So you have to go to desire. You can't throw it out for God said, I'm going I'm to let you know the life I want you to live by your desires. And yet, you know, you and I know, and we'll get into this deeper, that not every desire is good. But on the other hand, you know, Jesus says that the, the good that comes from a man's life 
is the good in the man's heart, in the person's mm. heart. So, so yes, we have to go to desire. Now, the person, I, I find the same thing. It's either people are afraid of desire or the person says, I have no desire. And, and that just simply is untrue of a human being. Every person has desire. We are made that way. Again, we just look at this one simple verse that says God is putting the desires on your heart to do what pleases him. So therefore, as human beings, we are people of desire. Um, so when someone says, you know, I just don't care about anything. I don't have any real desire. Well, my first question is to myself, what is blocking this? What is either blocking it, what has disguised it, what has overcome it? It exists, but it just isn't um, accessible for this person at this moment. And I want to know why that is. And a person that has no desire um, is a person that experiences very little life. I mean, you can't even, I mean, go back to this, you know, if people think, well, my calling is just to love people. You can't love people without desire. I mean, you you're loving without your heart if you're doing it without desire. Now, I'm not saying there's not a place for duty uh, and discipline. There are times when our heart is so exhausted or so hurting or so shut down for some reason that we have to do what's right, though we don't feel like it. But as C.S. Lewis said, if you operate out of duty and, desire, or duty and obligation all the time, and duty and obligation is like a crutch, if you are constantly losing a, using a crutch, there's something wrong because at some point your leg needs to get better and then you need to operate without a crutch. Or in other words, you need to operate without duty and obligation. You go back to desire, your desire to love God, your desire to love others. So a life without desire um, is, is an unhealthy life. Um, and can you, can you share that story? It's a great story where you, I don't know if you went to a, some sort of marriage conference or something like that, but you, you got advice on kind of how to, you know, approach your wife and, um, and, and what that looked like, and, but, but it wasn't what she really needed. Do you remember oh, that story? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a great story, and it isn't a great story. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yes, I go to this, uh, this uh, retreat, and it was called Dad, Dad the Family Shepherd. And uh, when they were done with the weekend, uh, they asked people to get in what they called e-groups, encouragement groups, and, and go through their list of assignments. And one of them was to take your wife out to dinner and ask her a series of questions, um, which they had written out. And they were great questions. They really were. It was asking – it was really just probing into your wife's heart. Um, but I wrote these questions down. I was being far more – led by duty than desire at this point. And so we went out. I uh, was sitting across from her. I pulled out my day timer that I, where I'd written all my questions down. And as we were sitting there, I, you know, I'd, I'd glance down and read the question. And then I'd say, so, sweetheart, what have you always dreamed of doing? And she talked to me a little bit. And then after a little bit, I'd say, uh, so, sweetheart, what was one of your favorite experiences growing up? And I think it was I think it was after I asked the second question that she looked at me and she said, are you reading those questions? And, and I, you know, she caught me and I said, yes. And she goes, is this an assignment or is this something that you came up with? And I said, well, no, actually it's an assignment. And, um, and she just looked at me and she reached across the table and grabbed my hand and she said, sweetheart, she said, I love your 
intention here, but I want your heart and not your questions mm. and your fulfilling of your assignment. And mm. it, it was an eye-opener for me. It really was. that At that point, as much as I wanted to love her with my heart, I wasn't even attached to my own heart at that point. I wasn't living out of desire. I was living out of duty. And that's not what she wanted. And, uh, and so not only did I realize it with her, but I also realized it with God, you know, that it, he just will say, you know, I, I, I appreciate the discipline you're putting forth here, but at some point you need to be living out of desire now. Mm. Yeah, and we wonder why so many believers burn out. You know, it's yeah. because of that we're living out of strictly out of duty and desire. And so we, we have this idea that the, quote, commands of God are something to be done without desire, and it's killing us. Let me throw out another verse real quickly. Psalm uh, 2512. It says, um, who is it that fears the Lord? In other words, who is it that knows God? And then it goes on and said, God will instruct him in the way chosen for him. And he confides in those who fear him. Um, you see, it's a, this is such a fascinating idea that God will instruct us in the way chosen for us. And he will confide in us. There's, there's something... There's some way that he speaks to us in confidence to us. Uh, George MacDonald said, with every man and woman, God has a secret. And, and this is what he's referring to, that God has this secret of who we are, what we have been created to do. And that secret, that, that confidence that God shares with us is in the form of our desires, who we are, what we most want to do, because that's what we are made to do. And so that's why Paul can say in 1 Corinthians 9.16, he said, look, when I preach the gospel, I can't boast about it because I am compelled to preach. If I don't, woe to me. And, I mean, that's the way we're supposed to be living when it comes to desire. There is something that God has put in our heart that we so want to do. And woe to us if we don't. I mean, we're just going to die if we don't do what's in our heart to do, speak these things, do these things perceive these things, whatever that is. Mm. Um, and that's so helpful. Um, and let's, let's move to the third. Uh, so we've got two points so far, two um, points of orientation. We've got story. Uh, by that we don't mean myth. We mean the context we're in. Then we've got desire, these desires of the deep heart. And then the third one is journey. Um, how does that point factor into helping us get oriented? Okay. Yeah, journey, another word for journey might be, a scriptural word would be pilgrimage, that we're on a pilgrimage, a journey. We're, we're in a process. And when we fail to see life and our life as in a process, we misinterpret the work of God. You know, so many times we hear stories uh, you know, somebody give, stands up and kind of gives their testimony and why they're doing what they're doing or how God, God called them to the mission field or whatever it is. Um, and we hear these stories and, you know, the, the person's maybe given, you know, 20 minutes to tell their story or perhaps 45, perhaps an hour. And, and of course, you could never tell a lifelong story well in that time. And so they shortcut it. And, and we hear it and we think, well, why doesn't God speak quickly to me like he did to them, and why can't I make an immediate life change like they made? 
because it appears that they didn't have a journey and a process. They had an epiphany and an immediate life change. And yet, I think that if you would to, to get them aside and say, tell me your story, take your time, we have hours, and you probed, you would find out, oh, you know, between this desire coming up in their heart and their actually being able to walk in it to some degree may have been years and may have been many things going on, teaching and hardship and lessons and experience and all of those things. But because we don't often hear it, we misinterpret it, and therefore we think, God, why don't you do that for me? Why is it that their life is easy and mine is hard? Why do they have success and I have nothing but struggle? And so we misinterpret because we don't understand journey. There's a journey to our, a process to our life. And I, I, I should say that that's probably one of the most helpful things for me personally because once you get a sense of, you get a little bit more dialed in on what what your particular calling is, you're going to go through <laughs> periods. <laughs> In fact, we're going to talk about that um, you and I later, but uh, you're going to go through periods where you're just thinking, what is going on here? I seem to be hitting this wall. I know what I'm supposed to be doing, but nothing's moving. You know, and then you get into these false, conclu- false conclusions like, you know what, God is just mean, or mm-hmm. I'm blowing it. Right. You know, it leads you down some paths that are just so not helpful. Yeah. Oh, it's so true. And you, you're right. We'll, we'll go into depth in this in a little while. But, yeah, Oswald Chambers says that God gives a person a vision, and then he takes him down into the valley and batters him into the shape of that vision. And it is there where so many faint and give way. Because God says, okay, now you're starting to see what it is, the life I want you to live, and you can read it in your desires. Now I need, to, I need to bring you up to the level of your calling, of your, uh, of your life, of the glory of your life. And he brings us into these places to now train us and equip us. And that's where we go, uh-uh, this cannot be God. I, I've never <laughs> heard anybody going through things like this. Well, you know, again, we've probably not heard another person's story well. And, and Oswald Chambers said the shame is that's where people faint and give way. They walk away. And, and how many people have we seen in our life that we would attribute their life as a great life, as a follower of Jesus Christ? We think, man, that man or that woman, their thinking is so clear. They're so articulate. They help people so well. Look what they created. And they just seem amazing. And then a year or two later, you hear the sad story of their moral fall or the uh, the wake of hurt and pain that they have with other believers because of the way they treat people and how they've gone from this, you know, excited, humble follower of God to now this arrogant, you know, control-seeking uh, person. And you think, what happened to them? Well, I would venture to say that they had God had not developed them up to the level of, their calling, the glory of their life, the weightiness of their life, and they weren't prepared to handle it, and it took them out. Um, mm. And so I, I think if we understand journey, see, then, then we can be excited about hardship because we can, we can say, oh, I think God is training me to do this better than I could do it right now. I'm going to be a different person six months from now, a year from now, than I am today, which will allow me to do more of what God has created me to do. And that 
that puts a whole different life uh, light on life if we can see journey in that way. And uh, you know, I've been praying. I think a somewhat <laughs> scary prayer in those times because I'm just I'm I'm getting this idea of journey. I'm 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 getting the idea that there may be something going on. This this training and development, this ever increasing process. So, one of my prayers, thankfully, that I've been able to pray is, God, if I'm not ready <laughs> for this next phase, or if there's some development of my heart, some strengthening that needs to happen. But I don't. By that, I don't mean that my heart is evil or there's sin in the way. But there is a maturing so that we can, as you said, handle the glory because what again what we offer is not nothing light it is consequential and monumental so lord if i'm not ready for that as much as i hate to feel stuck here um it probably is a great rescue <laughs> that you're not allowing me to just sort of charge the field with this yes yeah, it, it, it is amazing. It, it is not only the preparing for us to carry the weightiness of our life well for others, but it's, it really is saving us. You know, it's that, it's that line out of the Mask of Zorro where he said to this young, untrained man who had no concept of the enemy that he wanted to fight, he said, you, you know, you would have fought bravely, but you would have died quickly. And I see that in the body of Christ. You know, now, now taking out of the pe- taking out the people that that try to enter into things more out of a sense of to be seen and to become somebody, but so many good-hearted people that really jump in and try to fight bravely, but really do die quickly. They're really taken out quickly because they were not prepared for what they were going to encounter. You know, I mean, I, I just think of Moses, you know, bringing his people into the Promised Land, this this place this life that they were created to live. And so God delivers them into this. But as they're coming in, he says to the people, um, I will give you this land only little by little until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. And I think that's true with our life. I mean, I think that verse can be directly put over our life, that God will give us the life we were created to live, the ability to to actually... uh, the empowerment to do what's on our heart to do little by little, you know, to the point until we are, uh, we have increased enough to actually take possession of it well. Not only that we can, we can prosper, and let me use it, I don't like the word prosper, that we can, that we can grow and, and do this well and bless other people with it, but also that we can flourish with it as well. Mm. Yeah, and that's that's the great gift is that not only is this something that, that life is going out from us, but we in the process of this journey are flourishing, as you said, and really coming into our own radiance. So even in those moments when we feel stuck and we feel like, gosh, I just don't want to go into this prep mode, this training mode again, it really is something that God is drawing, offering more life to us um, and to draw our hearts out um, not just for the sake of the story, but for us. And, and that is that is absolutely beautiful. Right. Um, well, and you know what? We, th- we think of the, you know, the verse that we've all heard, that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So he, he had to grow in wisdom. Um, he had to grow in stature, which means physically growing up, stature. 
and in in uh, favor with God and man, how to live with man, how to be in favor with man and favor with God. Now, if Jesus had to go through that process, of course we do as well. And and then, you know, we think about Luke 640, which says a student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. So, of course, we have to go through this journey, this pilgrimage, this process to actually grow into the ability to handle the, the weightiness of our life. So, so, right, we have to be aware, alert and oriented to the story that we're living in, as well as our own story. We have to be alert and oriented to our desires, because that's where God writes what it is that we were created to do. And then we have to be alert and oriented to the fact that we live in a journey. There's a process of development going on. And boy, when we when we are aware of those three things, like with the GPS unit, we'll know, you know, within feet of where we are and how to get to where we need to go. Hmm. Right, because disorientation is an awful sense, even for the believer. Um, um, and we're gonna we're gonna move next time into the issue of mystery, which again is just so helpful for interpreting what's going on. Because I think that's part of what we need is we need someone to come alongside, whether it be other people or or God's own counsel to help us interpret um, those times where we just don't know what's going on, even if we are oriented. So mystery is next time, um, and, and I'll announce on my blog when uh, when that'll be scheduled. But okay. uh, we have just a couple minutes. But just for listeners to know again. Um, Gary's website is thenobleheart.com. He's got great resources there and uh, video blogs as well. Um, Gary, really appreciate it, and I'm looking forward to getting into this even a little bit deeper next time. Me too. Me too. This is, I'm just enjoying you and I discussing these topics together. And, and so you're welcome. I'm enjoying doing this with you, and I look forward to the next ones. Hey, thanks, Gary. Appreciate it. All, All right. right. Bye-bye.